In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear faithful, we find our Lord this Sunday in a pivotal moment of his public ministry. He was about to travel from Galilee to Judea in order to go up to Jerusalem to be present for the Feast of Passover. It would be his last Passover. It would begin with the slaying of a small lamb, substituted, of course, as a figurative victim for the sins of men, and it would end with the crucifixion of the one true Lamb of God, he who came to earth to win the victory over sin once and for all. And Christ was going to be sure that his disciples knew him. He would see to it that they would definitely be able to know and know with certainty that he was the Son of God. It was not as if he had not already provided them with abundant proofs of his divinity. He had worked countless miracles in their sight. They had heard the words of his sublime doctrines from his very mouth, such that it was said of him that Never did man speak like this man. They indeed had supernatural faith in him. Peter had even declared it, calling him the Christ, the Son of the living God. However, the trial of faith that they were about to be subjected to was to be so awful that Christ had determined in his mercy to arm and strengthen them against temptation with a truly extraordinary grace. We must remember that the trial that our Lord was about to undergo, ending in his death on the cross, was to be a scandal, a scandal for his disciples. It was the complete opposite of what they had come to expect, what they had been hoping for. And even when our Lord told them in plain words, what was going to happen to him, they still didn't really get it. Recall St. Peter's response, Lord, surely this will not happen to you. Surely nothing of the sort will happen to you. They couldn't process it. Christ prepared them, however, in, in telling, telling them what was in store for him at the Last Supper, and he told them that all of them would be scandalized in him that night. Now, so many other times in the last three years of his public ministry, the disciples had seen the high priests and the Pharisees foiled and made to look ridiculous by our Lord, by his wisdom and miracles. But now their conspiracy against him would finally succeed. A greater shock to the confidence of the disciples could hardly be conceived. In addition to this, and even worse, a people which had so enthusiastically greeted our Lord just a few days before with shouted hosannas and palm fronds waving in the air would now demand his execution by the means reserved for the most vile of criminals as his triumphant enemies would stand by and laugh at him and insult him.
in ordinary circumstances, who among us would not cower and flee the side of Christ in the face of such adversity? And for all but one of the disciples, this is indeed how events came to pass. None of this, of course, was of any surprise to the Son of God. That is why in this Sunday's Gospel, we see Christ taking him, taking with him, his three most trusted disciples, Peter, James, and John. He takes them up on this high hill, known by the name of Tabor, meaning rejoice in the name of the Lord. As soon as they reach the summit, the disciples observe a sudden change over him. His face shines as brilliantly as the sun. His garments become white as snow. Two venerable men approach him, conversing with him about the sufferings he's about to endure. One of these is Moses, the other, Elias the prophet, who, as you may recall, did not, like Enoch, the great-great-grandfather of Noah, did not die. But Elias was carried up to heaven in a fiery chariot. They adore the Christ, Moses and Elias, making clear that he is indeed Israel's long-awaited Messiah. Can we imagine the joy that must have been theirs in this moment? This is as close as the disciples have come to the immediate vision of God. Understandably, therefore, Peter, his, his up-and-atom nature, his generous nature, he heartily suggests building three tents, three tabernacles, one for Christ, one for Moses, and one for Elias. And as happened at the, at the occasion of Christ's baptism, the voice of the Father is heard from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. This transfiguration of Christ lasts only a few brief moments, for his mission was not there on Tabor, but on Calvary. He was sent to earth not to be glorified, but to be humiliated and to suffer. So he withdraws from the splendor of brightness that had overtaken his appearance. The disciples, who had fallen on their faces in fear, can now only see Jesus as they had always seen him. The bright cloud had disappeared. Moses and Elias were now nowhere to be seen. These three disciples were given the gift of seeing, even if only briefly, the splendor of the eternal word of God, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, their divine master. How could it be possible that they would one day betray him? And yet, all save one would do just that. Only a short time later, our Lord celebrates the Last Supper with his disciples. And at its conclusion, he takes them up to another mountain, Mount Olivet. When they arrive at the entrance of the garden on that mountain, he once again advances with Peter, 
James, and John, leaving the others there at the entrance. He says that his soul is sorrowful unto death, and then retiring at a certain distance from them, he spends time in prayer to his eternal Father. His heart is completely weighed down with the anguish of his coming sufferings. When he returns to the disciples, he's been greatly weakened by the agony he has just endured, the agony of the whole world's sins from the dawn of creation until the end of time falling on him. He returns to the disciples, his garments saturated with his own blood. And are the disciples keeping watch, as he had told them to do? No. They've fallen asleep. A short time later, Peter, the bravest of them all, will be denying that he ever knew the man, and denying him three times. After the resurrection, of course, the apostles heartily atone for this cowardice. They furthermore acknowledged the mercy that Christ had on them by fortifying them with the heavenly vision of him on Tabor. So may we not wait until we've already betrayed our Lord, but immediately acknowledge his divinity, and we will be fortified, like the, like the apostles, by his grace. For in several short weeks, we will be commemorating the anniversary of our Lord's death on the cross, on Good Friday. It's the second Sunday of Lent. Holy Week is right around the corner, dear faithful. We will recall his being humbled by his enemies and bearing the punishments that we alone have merited. The trials we're currently undergoing, and which are likely to become worse, must not become for us the occasion to let our faith be weakened. As some of you, probably many of you, are aware, in 1947, Blessed Archbishop Sheen said in a radio broadcast that in the last times, the times of the Antichrist, there would not only be an Antichrist, there would be an anti-church as well, a counterfeit church. Are we in those times? I do not know, dear faithful, but the signs are troubling. Signs of synods in which cardinals and bishops speak openly of wanting to contradict the church's 2,000-year-old doctrines are very troubling indeed. And so it is understandable that there may be many of you out there who are depressed or discouraged, troubled by what you see going on in Holy Mother Church, who, like St. Peter, would say to our Lord, Lord, surely this will never happen. Well, someday, dear faithful, and that day may be soon, it will happen. 
That doesn't change the fact that the church remains ever the mystical body of Christ. And even if the human element in Holy Mother Church, even if the devil may succeed in wreaking havoc in it, our Lord told us the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. So let us be fortified by the remembrance of Tabor and the splendor of our Lord's divinity before that moment comes, so that we would avoid the error of Judas, scandal to the point of despair. The psalmist says that the Messiah will be treated as a worm of the earth, Psalm 21, verse 7. He says he'll be covered with wounds. He will be like a leper, the most abject of all men. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 4. In all adversity, let us remember the splendor, the beauty, the majesty of the transfiguration of our Lord on Mount Tabor. This transfiguration of our Lord. We must remember the adoration paid him by Moses and Elias. And the bright cloud, the voice of God the Father. The more we see Christ and his church humbled in this world, the more we must join our praise to that of the angels and the 24 elders in the book of the Apocalypse. The lamb that was slain is worthy to receive power, and divinity, and wisdom, and honor, and strength, and glory, and benediction. The scandal of the cross is unavoidable, but after the howling of the demons, it will always be God who has the last word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen.